1: This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth,
2: and I'm Sam al Samid.
1: So I'm joining uh, the podcast today from the, uh, the, the lovely uh, traffic of Interstate 95
2: <laughs> in Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> and but then, I, you know, and, and what vehicle are you in?
1: I'm in the Kia Rio,
2: ah, which is excellent. actually.
1: It, you know what? Um, I, I mean, we might as well just start with it. Uh, it it's, this is a pretty nice car. It's a great car for $20,000. It drives really well. Uh, it's pretty, pretty well-behaved. It feels solid. The suspension tuning is, is decent. Uh, I was actually going to check and see if it has a, uh, a beam axle in the rear because it, it really re- it reminds me a lot of that first-generation Volkswagen Golf. You know uh, just sort of a you know it's a simple solid uh, small car
2: Uh, well let's see why don't you keep talking for a second while I look up the specs and I'll tell you (laughs) if it has a beam axle
1: okay let's see Uh,
2: Um, actually let's see
1: I'm quite impressed with its. oh wait
2: here here we go engine it's it's like the 1.6 it it, uh, it does uh, in fact have a beam axle
1: ah see look at that that's perfect it's, it's got a 1.6-liter engine that's actually way more lively, too, uh, than than you'd expect. It, it performs quite well. I, for the first day or two, I was wondering whether or not it's a, a turbo. It seemed that sort of lively to me. Um, but, yeah, have you driven the Rio?
2: I have not driven the new Rio yet. Um, I think I actually just got one scheduled... Uh, coming up uh, middle of september yes coming up middle of september i've got one scheduled so that'll actually be my first opportunity to drive the new one um and yeah you know the that one six it's not a turbo but it's got 130 horsepower and it's you know it's obviously not a very heavy car um let's see how much does it weigh uh it's it only weighs twenty six hundred pounds. Twenty six hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. Do you have the automatic or the manual? I
1: have the automatic and you so the thing I love about it okay, so is that yeah, it's an
2: extra fifty pounds. Yeah,
1: it, but that's that's impressive actually that their auto is that light. Um but it's it's got low limits, you know. We always talk about that, right? The sort of slow car fast kind of thing. Um mm-hmm. so you can have a hilarious amount of fun with it. Like today getting on 95 you know, you just, the on-ramp is, there's nobody on it because it's the middle of the day. We had, a, we had a half day on Friday today. And so I took it at, like, 40 miles an hour. <laughs> and you just, like, you know, you just you, you get it at the limits of what its ad, ad, ad adhesion will do. And you just give it a little bump of opposite lock. You know, you can't do that in a car with higher limits safely, you know. Uh, nothing bad that, is going to happen.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't push the tire, you know, on on. Most modern cars, you can't really uh, approach, you know, the limits of the tires and the suspension at any kind of a reasonable speed. You know, so you can't really uh, work on your own skills as a driver. <laughs> you know, but this thing's got relatively skinny, you know, P185 tires on 15-inch wheels. Mm-hmm. So you, you can have some fun with something like that, especially when it only weighs 2,700 pounds. Yeah,
1: you f- it feels great being mildly irresponsible with it. And, you know, that's the other thing, that it feels good doing it, where, you know, other cars, I think, like, I'm trying to th- the Mitsubishi Mirage is a good example, where that car has delightfully low limits, but it also doesn't really want to play along. Um, the, the Rio, they have done quite a bit of learning, over at Kia uh, to figure out how to tune suspensions and, and how to make the cars handle. You know, the steering's not all that communicative, um, but it's, it's not as numb as it had been on earlier Kia models, so it, it's pretty good. You get into a corner, you can tell what's going on. Uh, the chassis is set up where there's some, some compliance, which is, is good because Kia's in the past had also been pretty stiff. Um, this one, the stiffness is in the structure where you want it <laughs> and not the suspension where you don't. Um, so it, it really like, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things where I was talking with a coworker about it and his takeaway was just, man, Kia makes good cars. And I said, yeah, I can't, I can't disagree. You know, for, for 20 grand, it's, it looks great on the outside. Um, it's comfortable up front. Uh, the back seat is a little tight cause it's a smallish car. Um, and the cargo area is, is, you know, it's good for what it is. It's a small hatch. Um, and, you know, the materials are good. The assembly quality is, is good. It, it, it does everything you expect of it. Um, it, you know, doesn't give you any surprises. So though, that's all high praise for a car that starts, I think, the, the, the sedan starts under $14,000. So it, to me, it feels like a really good deal um it, it may not drive with quite the sort of gravitas that a you know a volkswagen would you know the, the rabbit or the, the not the rabbit anymore but the the golf always impresses me with sort of how solid it feels on the road um th- this feels really buttoned down here in the the rio but it's maybe not quite as as sort of weighty feeling as the german stuff
2: of course of course you, you can't you can't get any of those German cars for you know fourteen thousand dollars brand new right and
1: I th- I'm trying to think like this is more of like a Polo class right than a than a Golf yeah yeah
2: so they don't offer and, it. and VW's never offered the Polo here
1: yeah so I, I don't know for for what it is you know and the this is the launch edition too because they did just redo the Rio so uh, it has launch edition package on it with with you know spiffy leather accented seats and uh, the sort of red accents on the dash and the doors. You know, you look around, and, and it is definitely built to a price. You know, the door panels are hard plastic, and um, it doesn't have nav, uh, but it has uh, Android Auto and uh, the Uvo uh, infotainment. And it's not a, there's not a ton of features that you need on a car in this class. You know, it's got air conditioning, power, power windows, power mirrors, and they're like, what else, what else could a boy want? um you know just just the basics yeah and i i love actually i tweeted the other day the uh the hvac setup it's three knobs and a couple of buttons that's it
2: exactly as it should be the
1: best uh you know i mean i continue to be very impressed with uh with kia's sort of small car offerings um and and this is just sort of another another in the the long run of like, hey, they they continue to get better and they're really good. Uh, and it's, you know, 38.2 miles per gallon on the average right now. So that's that's not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's
2: just it's just a shame that, you know, American consumers in particular, but even globally uh, more, more and more don't seem to care about cars at all, you know, small or otherwise. And so, you know, unfortunately, as good as these cars are getting, you know, and you know, if you if you want a new car, you know, that's affordable, you know, especially for a first time buyer, you know, something like this, you know, is, is what you need. And yet there are, you know, getting to be fewer and fewer of these because customers just aren't buying them.
1: Yeah, that is like, that really is too bad. I think about what this would be like as a, a compact crossover. And like, it, it would be good, but you'd lose some of that fuel efficiency, you'd actually lose some of that Uh, fun-to-drive spirit that's just there. You know, small, light cars just have a thing about them. And um, when you try to... I mean, uh, as a compact crossover, it wouldn't be that different, but I think it would be different enough where it would just feel a little bit more dull. You know, it would be a little further off the ground. Uh, The the suspension would be a little bit softer, a little bit more travel, so more compliance. And it, it would probably be okay, but it wouldn't be the same. And, you know... We just like things to stay the same. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's probably only a matter of time before a crossover based on this platform for the Kia brand shows up. You know, uh, Hyundai, you know, recently launched the the Kona, you know, which is in this same B segment size class. Um, and it's, you know, it's doing pretty well so far. And, I, you know, I would imagine that, you know, by this time next year at the very latest, if not. You know, probably much earlier in 2019, we will probably see uh, a small Kia crossover, you know, along along the along exactly those lines, you know, with this one point six liter engine, uh, probably a version, you know, with a one point four liter turbo, you know, much like the uh, much like the Kona and, uh, you know, something. You know, it, it'll probably be a, a good vehicle just as the Kona is, but, you know, it, it will have lost something in that translation.
1: Yeah. And uh, like you know what? That's fine. If that's what if that's what people are buying, fine. That's whatever. I, I don't want to sound like one of those sort of stick in the mud sort of, uh, you know. Uh, uh, well, the other thing, kind of too,
2: is, buying. yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing is, you know, you're probably not going to get, you know, that loaded Kia small crossover. For the same eighteen thousand four hundred dollars sticker price as a loaded uh, Rio EX, yeah, and that's what you know it's probably going to cost you at least three or four thousand dollars more than that if you know, and and maybe even up you know into the twenty five twenty six thousand dollar range you know to get it with the same level of equipment uh, or more that that's on a loaded uh, Rio.
1: Well, and you know, as an automaker, that's a great move because you fatten up your margins because it doesn't doesn't really cost oh, any course. more to build a crossover than it does to build the Rio. Um, you know, and this one, like, I they actually charge you more for the hatchback, which I'm offended by, um, but, so this is an EX, and I don't think it's totally loaded, but it, the EX is, like, 18.7 for the, the EX hatch, uh, for the Rio hatch, and then it's got the launch edition with the, the leather seat trim, and they put in floor mats, so that's, like, 630 bucks extra. So, it, the, the total sticker with... with Freight and everything was, was just over $20,000. Um, yeah, I mean, that's not a bad deal for, for a car, and I can see how they'd say, okay, but if we make it you know, a little bit more expensive as a crossover, it's 21000 and that's all profit. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. fine. Um, I, I, I will say, though, I, I drove the, um, the, the, uh, the Kona, and that's an excellent car, too. Like, I don't care what it is. It just drives really well. So okay, if that's the future, I'm not, I'm not that scared of it.
2: <laughs> uh, the, the, yeah, no, they, they they did do a good job on the cone. Kona. The
1: cone is it's not on the same um, platform though, right? It's a different.
2: Uh, uh, no, I think it is, I think it is a different platform, uh, but I mean it's similar in size.
1: Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Hyundai and Kia together, like they are. I don't know where they stand in terms of uh, sales, but there's still a company that's on the move and and they they really seem to have their eye on the ball they make good stuff
2: yeah absolutely
1: so what have you been driving i mean you're not driving currently like i am but you're driving
2: uh, no no i i uh, i am sitting in front of my computer and my microphone right and now a desk job uh, but i have driven i yeah <laughs> um i I did spend uh, some time last week driving the uh, the updated 2019 Jeep Cherokee. So the the Cherokee is, you know, um, kind of the, the middle of the Jeep lineup, uh, you know, above the uh, the Renegade and the the Compass and below the Grand Cherokee and the Wrangler. And you know, it when it when the current generation Cherokee arrived a few years ago. It was a bit controversial uh, with its design. You know, it was probably the least Jeep-looking vehicle uh, in a long time, actually. Um, you know, it had those narrow-slit lights at the top of the, the the front corners, you know, and then the headlights embedded down below, and it was a little unusual-looking. So did you— uh, You know, you did, still had the—
1: Yeah, did you love it or did you hate
2: it when you first saw the, it? The—, the, the um, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. Yeah. I was, I was conflicted about it. It, it took me a while. I, you know, once I got used to it, I was fine with it. Yeah. I never, I never really fell in love with the look, but you know, I wasn't one of those people that really hated it either. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was fine, <laughs> you know,
1: and, <laughs> that's what we can hope for that's, So yeah, it's, it's fine.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if, if you, if you talk to designers, you know, that's the last thing they want to hear from customers. Right. You know, our potential customers They don't want to hear, it's fine They they want people to either You know, they prefer them to love it But, you know um, Generally when you have something that customers Really love You will also find a significant proportion Of the population that also Hates it, you know, because when it's that When it's more extreme like that You know, a, a great case in point For Chrysler, you know, was back in the mid-90s When they launched um, What was the The uh, the DR generation, um, you know, the uh, pickup trucks. You know, the the 1994 Ram pickup oh, trucks. Oh yeah. You know, that was the first one that had that dropped fender, big rig look. And you know, prior to that, the the Dodge pickup trucks were always, you know, they were pretty bland looking. You know, the, there was really nothing much to them that set them apart from anybody else's pickup trucks. And when they launched that one, you know, when they when they did the the focus groups with it before it launched, you know, they found that um, you know about half the people they showed it to thought it was fantastic and the other half hated it. You know And they, they looked at how many trucks are we selling right now? And at that point they were selling about 80,000 a year of the, the old the previous generation Dodge pickups, you know, compared to about you know three to four hundred thousand a year for, for Ford and for GM uh, for their trucks. And they figured well, if half of the truck buying population loves this thing, we're only selling eighty thousand a year now. We've got nothing to lose. We might as well go for it. Yeah. and they did, and it was a huge success for them, and it has continued to be a success to this day. With the the Cherokee, uh, you know, they, the Cherokee when when it came, when the current generation Cherokee arrived. It was replacing the Liberty, which did fine in sales, but it you know it was not a hugely loved member of the Jeep lineup, uh, and. You know, so they went, you know, kind of in a completely different direction. The old Cher- the old, um, the, the Liberty, you know, was based on a. It was a unibody, uh, but it was a rear drive platform. This time, they went to, um, you know, a front wheel drive, you know, transverse engine, front wheel drive platform based on, on a Fiat platform. And uh, you know they they went with a more daring design, uh, and it sold well at first. You know sales you know kind of dropped off after a couple of years, but it, it did it did well enough. Uh, but when they decided to do a mid cycle refresh this year, they. To, they made <clears throat> they made the front end look more conventional, more in line with the rest of the Jeep lineup. You know, so it's got you know, it still has the same same basic grill uh, design, but um, the headlights are more like what you would find on a Compass or on a Grand Cherokee. Uh, you know, with you know single cluster you know on each of the front corners it's just more conventional looking yeah and you know it, it looks fine you know it's there's nothing nothing wrong with it again not exciting certainly less controversial than before um you know and i think you know most people will like it just fine you know it's doing fine in terms of sales well
1: it makes me wonder um if the 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 the, when they brought back the Cherokee it was significant you know the, the Cherokee name was coming back and it was a, a big style departure I wonder if that was a trial balloon for you know seeing how it was received with the public you know another one of those like hey we don't really have anything to lose let's see how they like this because there's only so much of that like you know retro-ish Jeep styling that can, can happen you know they at a certain point you need to evolve the look and I, I thought back then like well is that what they're doing are they the using the Cherokee to determine the look of the next, you know, Grand Cherokee. Because Jeep kind of has sort of like two different uh, style paradigms, right? They've got the, the Wrangler kind of thing, that you've got the Wrangler and the mm-hmm. Renegade that, that look very similar, um, you know, with the round lights and that kind of thing. And then um, they've got the the more classical sort of like, the full size jeep you know the wagoneer the, the more grand mainstream cherokee. looking right. um, so i was like well, is that going to sort of set set the stage set the tone for what the next grand cherokee is going to be and you know, we still don't know because they haven't updated the grand, like fully updated the grand <laughs> cherokee since then but um, yeah, I like it was a bold move, and this one is is like they're pulling back a little bit. This gener, this sort of mid cycle refresh, it doesn't look bad at all. It's just not anywhere near as, as yeah. Bold. No, I
2: mean it's, it's a it's a good looking vehicle, yeah. you know, and it looks you know fairly contemporary. It doesn't look retro or anything like that. So you know, I think I think it's going to work, you know, and I think it's it's going to it's going to do well in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. You know, and in addition to the 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 design, they've they also updated the mechanicals. You know, so you still have. The, uh, the, the, the much, um, unloved, uh, Tiger, Tiger Shark, Shark 2.4 liter. It's not bad. Uh, it's not you know, bad with the Tiger
1: Shark. It does okay. It,
2: it, it's got, it, yeah. I mean, when, when they refreshed it a, a few years back and added the multi-air, uh, cylinder head, you know, the valve control, things like that, it got a lot better. It's a lot more refined than it used to be, but it's still not, you know, top of the class as far as four cylinders go. Uh, but it, it's fine. Um. And then, you know, they also offer a 3.2 liter version of the Pentastar with right. uh, the top just engine. <laughs> just
1: as thirsty as the 3.6 liter.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's like, you know, why, why bother? Why not just, you know, go give, give people the um, extra power yeah. of the, the 3.6? And I didn't, I didn't
1: mean to cut you uh, off. Like, so they've got that. Is that what you have is the new turbo?
2: Uh, yeah, so what I had is the the new two liter turbo four cylinder, which you know variations. You know this is FCA's new global four cylinder engine design uh, that they're using in both um, transverse and longitudinal applications. So this is the same engine, basically the same engine that you'll find um, in, for example, Alfa Romeos as their you know the base engine in the Julia and Stelvio. Uh, it's in the new Wrangler, um, and now it's also in the um, in the Cherokee, and we'll be seeing it in in other FCA vehicles uh, in the next couple of years as well. Um, Unlike the version in the Wrangler, which we'll talk about next week, which has the the e-torque mild hybrid system on there, the 48-volt mild hybrid system, uh, the the version that's in the the Cherokee, the transverse-mounted version, does not get the mild hybrid system. But I think that this is not the last update we'll be seeing to this Cherokee um, in the next year or so. I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, sometime uh, you know, probably next year we also see a full hybrid version of the Cherokee. You know, in line with some of the stuff we heard from the uh, the five year plan announcement in, in June, um, because the the two liter uh, turbo, well, actually all all three engines in the Cherokee are mated with uh, the ZF nine speed transmission, uh, which you know is is a good transmission, yeah. um, and the. <laughs> It's okay. It's it's a lot better than it used to be. Is it? I haven't driven yeah. one in a in a
1: while. When it, it was weird when it yeah. started out.
2: Yeah, I mean they had issues, uh, and when we get to listener mail, there we'll talk a little more about that. But it had issues uh, with the controls early on. But over the last couple of years, it's it's gotten a lot better. Uh, they made some software updates, changed the calibrations, and it you know it's. Yeah, you know, it's it's a pretty smooth shifting transmission, doesn't do anything weird anymore. At least it didn't do anything weird while I was driving it. But the, the the hybrid drive unit that's in the Chrysler Pacifica hybrid was designed to fit within the exact same package envelope as the nine speed. So basically anywhere where where you have the nine speed, SEA could drop in that hybrid drive unit in place of it, and just install a battery somewhere in the vehicle and turn it into a hybrid vehicle. Oh, that's really and smart. So yeah, so I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see um, a strong hybrid version of the Cherokee. Uh, probably not a plug in hybrid because I don't know that they necessarily have enough room to package a bigger battery for a plug in, but certainly a regular hybrid version, um, you know, with the, the battery being under the rear cargo floor where the spare tire goes now. Yeah, uh, and, and you know that would give you significantly better fuel economy out of this thing, and it'll be, you know, it'll be directly competitive with the likes of uh, the Rav Four Hybrid, the um, you know the upcoming next generation Escape, uh, which is going to have a hybrid in there, uh, and it's probably not going to be too long before we see the CRV Honda CRV Hybrid uh, here in the U.S. It's already available in Europe. So, um, you know, that'll probably be sometime within the, I would guess sometime within the next 12 months, we may see it, you know, debut either in LA or, or, or maybe the Detroit auto show in January. Uh, but for now, you know, the one I drove has the two liter turbo, which in this, uh, in this application has 270 horsepower, 295 foot pounds of torque, um, it's you know it's it's a it's a lovely engine, uh, you know it's got a little it was a, a little noisier than I expected in this vehicle, um, you know not an unpleasant noise but you know it had a little more of a of a um, a mechanical snarl to it than than I was expecting, uh, but it did fine, um, you know it's got plenty of power for, for this vehicle, you know and the the one I drove the the version I drove was the the limited trim. Uh, which is the more luxury oriented, you know? So it had lots of, lots of amenities in there, leather seats and everything, you know, heated and cooled seats and, and all that good stuff. Um, you know, and it's all wheel drive or, or four wheel drive. All jeep All jeeps are four wheel drive uh, of, of various flavors. Um, this is, you know, if you plan to go off roading, the limited is not the one you want to <laughs> get. You'll want the Trailhawk. Well, yeah, the Trailhawk um, has the, the,
1: like the different facias for a better approach and departure angle. And it's got more ride- yeah, right. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it's got skid plates and it, you know, it's actually, you know, you can um, lock the uh, the center differential and things like that. It's the that's the one that's that's trail rated. And I've driven the the Cherokee Trailhawk, you know, off road on on, our, on a pretty challenging off road course at the the Chrysler Proving Grounds in, in Chelsea. And, you know, it's. There are places where a Wrangler could go where a Trailhawk probably wouldn't be able to keep up, but not many. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, any any of any of the the Trailhawk edition Jeeps can go pretty much anywhere that you know, anybody but the most hardcore off-roaders are going to want to go. You know, um, you know, so you've got, you know, low range, you know, like, um, four, four wheel drive, low range in all those, you don't get that in the limited or, you know, the altitude or latitude trim levels. Um, but you know, for 98% of the people that are going to buy a Cherokee, maybe 99%, you know, they're never going to even consider doing Good. that anyway. It's,
1: it's a mall and, crawler. It's made to, you
2: know, yeah. be able to well, go through I the mean, even, you know yeah, I mean, even even if you've got you know, if you're going to uh, you know a, a cabin you know in northern Michigan or you know going you know going on the beach somewhere, you know the four wheel drive system that's in even the limited you know is going to handle almost any situation you know that uh that you're going to get into you know as long as you're not fording through 18 inches of water which the trailhawk has no problem with um you know the the limited and the other trim levels you know might run into some issues there but of course the trailhawk also has off-road tires which are going to give you all that extra traction as well yeah um things things you you know with with the limited you have more uh you know you have all season tires that are really more designed for street use but You know, aside from that, you know, it's it's roomy, Um, you know, it's it's comfortable. The ride quality is really good. Um, You know, it gets decent, not exceptional fuel economy. I got about twenty three miles per gallon with it. You know, which is is okay. Um, You know, I think you know if when if and when they do a hybrid version, you know, it'll probably do a lot better than that. It'll probably get up into the mid thirties. But um, you know, and it's I think you know the twenty three is probably a little bit lower. Than what you might get with some of its competitors like a CRV or a Rav Four, but not a whole lot.
1: But also, like neither of those have a turbo. You know, so like that's that's the thing. That's true. The the turbo engine is is probably really um,
2: yeah. You've got a lot more performance with this one.
1: Yeah, and and so I'm interested to hear about that engine because an all new four cylinder is important for for FCA, but also it what's the point of offering that next to the six? It has more torque than the six. And that's the problem with the six is that it, it doesn't have as much torque down low. It's a revver um, versus the four.
2: Yeah. And I think at some point we will probably see the V six drop out of the, the Cherokee lineup, um, you know, cause it, it, you know, it really doesn't, it's not needed there anymore with that, with this four cylinder. Um and you know it may it may stick around till the end of the current uh, model cycle, um, but yeah, I mean g- given the the power and torque you've got, you know this the the four cylinder turbo's got two hundred and ninety five foot pounds of torque. The V six is only two hundred and thirty nine. You know right. it comes at forty four hundred RPM. Right where the turbo is
1: like what like eighteen <laughs> hundred.
2: Yeah, you know so it, you know it, it's you know almost right off idle you've got. Tons of torque, you know, way more torque from that turbo than you're going to get out of the V6. So I think you know there are probably some customers who prefer to have a V6, you know, over a turbo. Um, but you know, I, I would I would take the two liter turbo over this any day. Yeah.
1: How does that change the character of the Cherokee? You know, one of the things that I noticed about the Cherokee with the V6 was the fact that it's it, it's fine, but it's a little soft off the line because just the nature of that that engine. And it's power delivery. Where one of the things I liked about it with the Tiger Shark is that it, it's got a little bit more oomph right off the line. So it probably feels
2: the the turbo has definitely got the oomph. Yeah, so it feels really yeah, confident. You're right? gonna, yeah, you're gonna. You know, I mean, the, the the Cherokee is not the most lightweight in the class. You know, in <laughs> yeah. part because of, well, you know, part because of the the four wheel drive hardware that you get in there. You know, it's a more sophisticated four wheel drive system. Mm-hmm you know that's capable it's a lot more capable than the typical all-wheel drive that you find on most of its competition you know the all-wheel drive systems you get on most of these vehicles you know um, you have a lighter weight rear axle that you know is only getting you know uh, typically no more than 15 to 20 percent of the torque sent back there just you know when the front wheels start to slip yeah um you know it's it doesn't have the the kind of capability that this thing does so it's you know it's going to be a little bit heavier but you know Conversely, you know, you've got capabilities. You know, you can go places with this that you can't with the others, um, or, or at least you can give people the impression that you might consider going places that you can't go with the others. But, you know, it's capable of doing it. You'd, most customers will never actually do it. Um. So yeah, I mean, but it's it's definitely got uh, you know more aggressive acceleration than the V6 or the uh, the the 2.4 liter version,
1: huh? But well, so overall the refresh has been successful. You know they know they changed the nose, there's a new hood and the interior Gets like some just detail updates, right? It's not, it's not as huge. Yeah,
2: nothing, nothing really substantial inside. You know, there's some, some trim pieces that are different. You know, but the basic look remains the same. And there's, there was nothing wrong with the, the basic look of it. You know, it was, it was always a, a good-looking vehicle. Uh, you know, it, it had, a, it had a nice interior anyway. Uh, nice materials, and you know, the fit and finish was really good. So, uh, you know, I don't think anybody had any real complaints about the cabin of this thing. Uh, you know, and it's it's reasonably roomy for excuse me for four adults. Um, you know, five in a pinch. Uh, you know, it's it's not the the widest vehicle in the world, but it, it, it's fine. Um, so, I, I think you know mo- most most people that are going to be customers for uh, a for you know for a compact crossover that that want at least um, the the potential to go other places. You know, or want something that's going to have. Uh, more capability when you get into really bad winter weather, as an example, um, or if you live in the mountains, you know where you might have to climb some hills. There, you know, this something like the Cherokee is going to be more capable than what you're going to get from most of the competitors.
1: Yeah, well, and you you sort of laid out the way you can talk yourself into the Jeep too, right? Whether or not you actually use that capability, they do. It, it is there. It's baked in, and so that that is sort of the selling point. Um, and with, I think the engine is going to be a, a differentiator. That turbo engine will be a differentiator, uh, at least for now, among its its competitors. And, and they, they really do know their market. You know, they, the, I think the Cherokee was the, the right vehicle for the customers that they really need to grow the Jeep brand. Uh, and it, I think it resonated with them. I see them all over the place here in, in New England.
2: Yeah, I mean, my next-door neighbor's got one, you know, and they, they love it. They think it's great um they they have the the 2018 model uh but yeah and this one you know the one i had is equipped with um you know you know all the driver assist stuff adaptive cruise control blind spot monitoring lane keeping and all that stuff and it all works great you know for you know urban driving you know which is what these things are going to be primarily used for you know it it works really well so i think you know most you know most people that buy it are going to be perfectly happy with it. You know, especially if they get the two-liter turbo. Um, you know, it's not cheap, <laughs> which is, you know, uh, you know Jeep. Jeep has really be- Jeep and Ram are the two cash cows that are you know driving Fiat Chrysler automobiles forward these days. You know, that's where all the money comes from. You know, you get you get some. You know, they get some cachet at the high end from from Maserati and Alfa Romeo. But Jeep, the Jeep and Ram brands are what pay the bills, and you know this particular one that I drove, uh, can, you know, stickered at thirty nine thousand two hundred dollars. Yeah, and and you can you can get it up you know well over forty thousand if you add a few more options. Well, what does it have for options? Um, I mean, yeah. forty
1: thousand dollars buys you a Grand Cherokee Limited, like that. I, that's that's just sort of at least it did. Um, I'm sure prices have ratcheted up a little bit since I actually bought one, but mine stickered for 40 and it had no options. It was just like it was the standard limited. Uh,
2: so the, the Cherokee limited four x four starts at 33, six, uh, and the options on this one were the technology group that gets you the driver assist stuff for 000, a thousand bucks, the luxury group um, to get you uh, uh, second row uh, adjusting seats that slide forward and back a bit. Um, Plus uh, carpeted cargo area, foot-activated hands-free tailgate, uh, the tonneau uh, for the cargo area, and ventilated front seats for twelve hundred bucks. Um, <laughs> the turbo is a five hundred dollar option over the V six. Oh, that's right. The engine. Um, yeah,
1: that's it though. That's that's yeah. not actually that much. Five hundred for
2: that engine. And yeah, um, and then the um, nine-speaker stereo with subwoofer, uh, seven hundred dollars, and the UConnect four. With Nav is eight hundred dollars, and then fourteen forty five for the destination charge, which seems kind of high. But
1: wait, the the limited doesn't come standard with Nav.
2: Uh, no.
1: Huh. That's so that's a little different. Um, Yeah. Yeah, they're playing. Look, they're getting their profit.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and as long as. As long as customers are willing to pay for it, but you know it—it's just you know it's—it's part of the trend away from affordability in in new cars. You know, which kind of goes back to what we were just talking about with the Rio. You know, there's not that many cars that you can buy new anymore for under twenty grand. Right. And you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, most customers, you know, aren't going for those cars anyway, which is why there's fewer and fewer of them available.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it is kind of a people want the stuff. And, uh, like, I understand that. And so leasing has driven that uh, ability to to drive more car than you can afford. Um,
2: Lease, leasing and longer loan terms as well. Yeah, and that's well. what I was just going to say, like, yeah. they'll,
1: they'll give you, like, a nine-year loan now if you want it. Like,
2: uh, not quite. Not but, <laughs> in the U.S. Uh, yeah. But the, you get getting there, like, you know, you can get 72- and 84-month loans now Which is, in the U.S. Like,
1: that's, that's a long loan. It, like, the, yeah, the, the I mean, that's,
2: that's nearly a mortgage. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean the, the cars can do it generally like they'll make it out of the loan without having a catastrophic failure but you're you're going to have to you're going to wind up
2: well with, without a catastrophic you know mechanical failure but you know if you get into an accident for example Oh yeah you're going to be you know depend depending on your insurance you know um you know your insurance may only pay off you know whatever the market value is at that time which may be many thousands of dollars less than what you owe on that loan you know, so it's you know it's definitely not recommended that you go for those kinds of long term loans yeah. if you can avoid it. Well,
1: the other the other like so there's a lot of ways that financially you can get screwed on an automobile, and, and so like that whole loan thing is well they'll, they'll send you they'll sell you another like gap insurance instrument right that says like oh well we'll pay it off even if you're upside down, if you total it you know like if it, if it gets totaled we'll, we'll pay off that difference or, or whatever. Um, the other thing that I, you know I took advantage of was I refinanced my car loan, and I did it just to get a lower monthly payment. Um, but it, you know they look at the, the quote unquote equity you have in your car, where they're comparing you know current resale value versus you know what you owe, and they'll they'll say Do you want to borrow against your car?" I was like, "No." I don't, I don't want to borrow against my car. Well,
2: I mean, you know, it's one thing to, to borrow against your house because, you know, most of the time, you know, aside from, you know, the period 10 years ago, yeah. or, or if you live in California, um, you know, chances are, you know, your house value is, is not going to, you know, drop too dramatically. Um, but, you know, with a car, you know, unless you own you know something very very expensive and rare, you know the price, the value of that that asset is always going to go down. It Only goes down,
1: time. yeah. It's, just, it's like yeah, and and then like so if something to, happens, to borrow
2: against to borrow against that so-called equity there. Yeah, that's equity that is going to evaporate eventually. Oh
1: yeah, I, I was just shaking my head. I was like, just, you got to be kidding just, me. <laughs>
2: that's just insane yeah. to even consider that yeah like there are there, if you if you need cash there are much better ways of getting it than borrowing and you know taking an equity loan on your car
1: right and i also don't recommend taking an equity loan on your house to buy a car although some people yeah. will do that or they'll get a, a mortgage and the reason why is because you can write down mortgage interest and you can't write down car loan interest that's i get it but that's still not a good idea for now at least and for now yeah that may change they believe me that's <laughs> they want to change that um so yeah. Anyway, I think we've we've talked about car. You know, the cars we're driving enough. Um, I don't have the topics in front of me, but you do. All right.
2: So <laughs> so I, I, I did also drive another vehicle oh. this week from FCA, uh, which is the, uh, the 29, 2019 uh, Ram fifteen hundred uh,
1: with eTor. Oh, okay. the hybrids. Uh. Yeah. The, the, so those are. Uh, I forgot about that. You were sending us horse pictures. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's both the Hemi and the the V six with the the hybrid, right? You got to try both?
2: Right. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to get into the V6 because uh, they only had three of them there, um, and by the time I got to them, they were you know they were already gone, um, so I didn't get a chance to spend any time with that one. But I did did spend quite a bit of time with the Hemi version, um, and so just as a as a refresher, you know earlier like back in March we drove the the regular Hemi uh, Ram, and um, you know it was quite. Uh, quite uh, like that vehicle. And, you know, this one is basically the same same truck, but now what they've done is they've added a 48-volt mild hybrid system to it, which, you know, this is something they announced at the Detroit Auto Show in January, and they call it eTorque. So what this is, you know, it's similar in principle to, you know, what we had from, from GM, you know, for... Various times over the last ten years with their mild hybrid system, um, their belted alternator starter system. Uh, they've called it eassist assist and, and various other things that, over time. Uh, Chrysler's calling, or you know, Fiat Chrysler's calling it e torque. Uh, so it uses a belted starter generator that uh, it's a 48 volt generator that replaces the um, the alternator, the regular alternator, uh, and then you, it also has a 48 volt lithium ion battery, and the battery is mounted against the back wall of the cab behind the rear seat uh it's it's not too big in size you know it's a it's about the size of you know basically like two 15 inch laptops stacked up on top of each other huh and uh it's it's got um uh, 12 lithium-ion cells in there there they, uh, the truck the the ram uses uh, pouch cells from lg chem uh, the uh, the jeep wrangler um, because of the fact that you can take the top off of the thing and so the battery pack might potentially get exposed to the elements they have a sealed battery pack with liquid cooled cells the, the ram has air cool has an air-cooled battery pack um and the 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 jeep uses cells uh prismatic cells from uh, samsung but um basically you know what this does you know having the the 48 volt system on there allows it to do some regenerative braking so it can recapture energy when you step on the brake pedal or or when you're just coasting uh it can um uh, provide some electrical assist. Uh, the the gener- when you've got power in the battery, it can um, use the the starter generator to. Um provide some assist you know so it's got the cylinder deactivation system so normally when you've got cylinder deactivation if you start going up a mild grade and it's in four cylinder mode it'll kick on the other four cylinders keep you know put them back on to give you enough power to keep climbing the hill at constant speed with e-or with the e-torque system it can use the starter generator to transfer some torque back into the the engine and allow it to keep the cylinders off longer uh, also do more aggressive uh, fuel shut off during deceleration, uh, and it also for your um, uh, for the start-stop system. Uh, it can also be more aggressive with the start-stop because you've got all the you've got this bigger battery that you can store energy in to power all the systems in the car or in the truck. Um, you know, with most. St- Regular 12-volt stop-start systems, you know, a lot of times, especially when it's when it's uh, when the temperatures are warm, uh, you know, when you come to a, a traffic light or something, you know, the engine will shut off, and then. 15 seconds later, it'll start back up again because it, it doesn't have enough power to power your your air conditioning and your lights and all, all the other stuff. Um, with the extra uh, juice that's stored in the 48-volt battery, it can keep that stuff on without having to run the engine. And... Depending on the conditions, you can potentially have the the engine shut off for up to 10 minutes at a time. So that's um, that's which like that's pretty impressive. Yeah,
1: that's huge for a truck too. Because you know, again, you've, you've talked about the idea of you know those gains when the the efficiency is low, like it is in a truck, just by its very nature. Like it's easy to to realize you know much larger gains percentage-wise in efficiency than it is in in uh, smaller already efficient cars. So, like, that's a perfect arena for it. Um, how drastic are the changes that they've made to the truck? Like, do they have, like, a heat pump AC, HVAC system and that kind no, of stuff?
2: No, they, they don't have any of that yet. So they've, they've kept it fairly straightforward. Uh, so they didn't change any of that. Still got a conventional air conditioning system. Still has, you know, mo- most of the other systems are... There's relatively few parts that actually change yeah. uh, in the truck. Uh, the... Uh, the uh, uh, the air conditioning system and everything else is the same. The um, alt the inverter for the bat- the starter generator because you know the starter generator is a, a DC uh, electric machine uh, and or sorry it's an it's an AC uh, electric machine and so they've got. Um, uh, power electronics that convert it back and forth between AC and DC because the battery stores direct current. Right. The generator st- uh, does uh, alternating current because it's more efficient. And so that all that uh, power electronics unit is mounted right on the starter generator, and then um, the battery management system is integrated right into the battery pack. So there's there's relatively few parts that are changed. The the belt that drives it on the the non torque version the, the the accessory belt that drives the alternator and water pump and things like that is a six rib belt um on the e-torque version they went to a slightly wider eight rib belt so it uh it has the same it has more power transfer capability um, and it has the same uh, lifespan uh, expected life service life as the the six rib belt so it should be good for 10 years 150,000 miles without requiring any service um and also, uh, one other difference on the V6 version, something I didn't realize before was on the on the V6 uh, in the Ram, the Pentastar V6 in the Ram, the alternator, uh, even on the, the normal versions, the alternator is actually mounted, hung off the front of the engine. It doesn't sit up on top or off on the side like it does on most engines. It's off the front, and it's actually a, a reverse drive. So uh-huh. the when you look at it, if, if you open the hood on one of these things and look down on it, you'll see that the pulley is actually on the backside of the the alternator, um, you know, so it's it's facing the what would normally be the front of the alternator is facing the front of the engine block. Uh, and so for the, the e-torque version, they did the same thing. So because of that, because you don't get the same normal airflow that you would get uh, when it's mounted the other way around for cooling it, uh, the the starter generator on the, the V6 on the Pentastar is liquid-cooled right. and has its own dedicated cooling circuit well, and heat exchanger. And
1: it also, like it doesn't it use a uh, larger capacity generator? So I, I think we did talk about that a little bit, was that they actually use a larger... Uh, a uh, uh, generator or something on the v6 or maybe i'm just imagining that but i, I do remember
2: that the, uh, well, the, is the, the the uh the generator on the v6 is capable of adding uh, up to 90 foot pounds of torque to the engine uh and on the v8 it's 130 foot pounds oh. so you get more more capacity out of the one on the v8 than you do out of the v6 um but uh uh, you know, in both cases, you know, not, neither one is capable of you know driving the truck electrically. So you know, unlike. You know, in a Prius or a lot of other hybrids, where you know, when you've got enough power in the battery, you know, the engine can shut off and just drive the car electrically for a mile, a mile and a half or so. You don't get any of that with this one, but it does. Um, you know, it does assist the engine and reduces the load on the engine, so it, it's consuming less fuel. Um, and you know, one of the other interesting details that, that they talked about, Brian Spawn, who's the, the chief engineer on the electrification stuff on the on these engines, uh, was telling us about this. Um, Interesting detail that they did when uh, when the transmission is shifting uh, When you upshift and the engine speed needs to come down uh, It's actually using the starter generator to actually help slow down the engine to get it to um, Ah. The the lower speed that it would be for the next gear and in that process of slowing down the engine you know, and it's only you know maybe 100, 150 milliseconds of time. But in that, it's actually doing some regenerative braking and capturing energy, because it's taking energy out of the engine to slow it down for the next gear. And it's capturing that energy and feeding it back to the battery. So every every opportunity they get to capture some energy, they're using it. And then similarly, on the, on the flip side, when you're downshifting and you need to rev up the engine to, to match the gears... Um, they're inst- they're actually instead of using more fuel to do that they're using the the motor to uh, drawing power from the battery using the motor to spin the engine up you know a few hundred rpm to get it to match the next gear so you get you you both get smoother gear shifts and faster gear shifts and it also saves you f- saves fuel well maybe that'll make so, them
1: more responsive because that's one of my biggest complaints is that in in cars these days you know you'll put your foot down for a, a downshift or something and it thinks about it you know when you're, and you're trying to get into like a hole in traffic or something and it's just like what the hell <laughs> i i want the power well, now <laughs>
2: yeah and it's it's I an mean, emissions it, thing it's it, it certain yeah it certainly felt responsive in in these trucks that we drove um you know i had no complaints about the way the the transmission felt or or shifted um and uh, you know, so I, I think it, it will it will make a difference in drivability. And overall, the drivability on this thing was great. You know, the start stop. You know, that's something that a lot of people complain about in their cars is you know the start stop. And because um, you've got all this extra power uh, from this from the forty eight volt system compared to a twelve volt system, the you know what it actually does when you do the start stop. Um, Normally on most cars when you take your foot off the brake pedal it starts to you know it immediately fires up the engine Um, But you know in those cases where uh, when you're sitting at a light and it needs you know it needs to restart the engine before you uh, before the light turns green when your foot is still on the brake and it restarts, those are the times when you actually tend to feel it the most because you you've got that reaction force against the engine, you know, from the brakes. You're holding the brakes down, and that's when you feel the the engine shudder the most on the restart. Yeah, you know, um, because it's able to keep the engine off um, more of the time. You don't you you almost never feel that. You will rarely, if ever, experience that shudder of the engine restarting while you've got the brakes applied. And then even when it does restart it actually the the electric uh the, the starter generator actually gets the motion going a little bit as it's restarting the engine and so you get you get about half a wheel rotation under electric propulsion as the engine fires up and what that you know the the result is basically you you will almost never feel the engine actually starting up it's, it's much smoother than it is on most other vehicles
1: yeah, and that can be one of the biggest sort of turnoffs for start stop is is that is sort of the thumpiness of it, especially mm-hmm. because it happens more often in the situations where you actually want it, and and then it becomes just an annoyance. You know, so, uh, most of the time I don't mind it. You know, I've I've grown used to it, but I, I think that uh, it, it's something that people consistently comment about. Um, you know, they, they'll ask, you know, does this car shut itself off? And like, yeah, it does. Um, oh, that's annoying. It's like, yeah, hey, you, get, you get used to it. You save fuel. Um, but the, yeah. the smoother ones are definitely, you know, you notice when you have a, a car that will do it more smoothly. And uh, th- this is, I feel like this is kind of the way of the future. Like, we're just going to see more of these, like, like, hybrids with the, it seems like they've done as much as they can at this point. There's still, there's still things that, that can happen the next time the, the RAM is redesigned again. Um, they can make deeper changes. But, you know, you've got an engine that deactivates cylinders. You've got, uh, you know, the, the, belt alter- the belted alternator and starter, and you've got a battery on it. Like, that right there like, must put the fuel economy solidly, the combined economy solidly in the 20s. Or, or, or even higher? Uh,
2: not yeah, Not not quite on the on the Hemi. Um, you know, so the the standard Hemi is rated at uh, 17 miles per gallon combined. Um, the uh, the eTorque version is rated at 19, which is 12 uh, percent improvement. Yeah, that's pretty good. And during during our drive uh, in it, uh, I averaged about 19.2, uh, which is pretty impressive. You know, for for a Hemi V8. You know, and and you know this is on a four cylinder sil- or um, a four wheel drive crew cab. Uh, Laramie Longhorn, you know, which is you know the, the biggest and heaviest version of this thing, and prettiest, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, get you know, getting a twelve percent improvement in fuel economy, especially when you're going from seventeen to nineteen, it makes a much bigger difference than if you're going from thirty-five to thirty-seven. Right. Uh, and there's they're they're still waiting on EPA for the final certification on the V six E torque. Um, that one so the the, the Hemi e torque is available at, at dealers now. Um, and the the, the V six e torque, which is gonna be the base engine in the new Rams, uh, should be hitting dealerships in the next month or or so and that one um the the current the the 2018 ram with the the pentastar is rated at 20 miles per gallon combined um you know it, they're expecting probably two to three miles per gallon improvement uh in the combined rating with the eTorque version on the new truck uh so that'll put it you know in the in the 22 23 mile per gallon range which is pretty uh pretty acceptable, you know, for a truck this size.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty good. And so when you consider what's going on with trucks elsewhere, you know, like uh, FCA has, uh, they're not the first. There have been some before, but really they've got the only hybrid trucks available right now. Um, they're going to maintain that for a little while until somebody else gets in the game. Um, and they don't have a, a compact truck, you know, where other you know gm and ford both have uh the the new you know they've got the the colorado and ford's bringing out the ranger and you know toyota has the tacoma um so fca still has something unique you know they've got their their own kind of niche and it's it's not a bad place for them to be and i think the the new ram is really good just overall oh yeah i don't don't care what power is it's just a good truck
2: so, yeah, it's a good looking truck. It drives really well. You know, I, I think it's I think it still has the best driving dynamics of any of the big trucks. Um, yeah, I agree. agree with that. And and the the interior is a really nice place to be as well,
1: especially in the Laramie uh, Longhorn fancy belt buckle yeah. edition. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and the the one we were driving, you know, stickered at uh, at sixty seven thousand. You know, which is by no means cheap. But then again, it's also not the most expensive, right. you know, full size truck you can get by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you you can certainly spend a lot more than that. You know, I think uh, you know a Ford Super Duty. Limited or Platinum, I think it's the Limited is the top one now. Um, you know, can get you up, you know, closing in on a hundred thousand dollars, which is just that's insane for a pickup truck. Yeah, I, you know. But yeah, there there will be more hybrid trucks, and you know, um, FCA has also got uh, still got the diesel uh, coming back next year uh, in the Ram, and you know, the current um, uh, Ram diesel uh, is. Uh, let's see. It's rated at 27 miles per gallon highway, uh, both both in two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive form. Uh, whereas the Ford F-150 diesel, it's um, 30 miles per gallon with certain two-wheel drive configurations, but with four-wheel drive, it's only 25. So you know, it's the the you know the Ram is you know is still you know among the most efficient trucks out there. Um, of course, you know Ford's going to have a full hybrid version of the, the next F one hundred and fifty coming in twenty twenty, um, and we would expect to see something from uh, from GM as well. You know, some sort of electrified powertrain in their in their new trucks uh, in the not too distant future. Well,
1: and all that really means, though, I mean to, to FCA is like how efficiently, in terms of cost, they can put a hybrid on their truck and uh, sell it. You know, because you know, Ford system may cost Ford more, and you know, so it sounds like what they've done is they've made an incremental step, and it's actually pretty affordable to put this hardware on the truck. You know, it sounds sounds simple enough; it's not a not a huge uh, change. So, I mean, trucks are going to yeah, be yeah. I uh, mean, the, the
2: forty eight volt mild hybrid system is uh, is about fourteen hundred dollar cost. Uh, co- and cost that's, to that's the that's manufacturer. That's what it cost. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's what it's costing uh, or. That's what that's the um, the uh, incremental cost that you pay for it if you order the uh, the option right. over the regular Hemi. So the the V6 mild hybrid is going to be standard, and then you have the standard Hemi in the middle, and then the V the, the mild the mild hybrid Hemi on the top. And so to go from the standard Hemi to the mild hybrid Hemi is a fourteen hundred dollar upcharge. Uh, and I can tell you right now, the F150 hybrid is going to be a lot more expensive than that. Right and so in
1: 1400 too, like, you start to get into that this sort of ridiculous math that people do about, well, you know, how long it takes the hybrid to pay back, you know, the extra cost. And 1400 on a, you know, 12% fuel economy improvement, like, it's going to take a while, but given that it's, people keep the trucks uh, for a while. I, I
2: took a look at the... The calculator on fuel-economy.gov, and uh, it's about uh, just shy of five years. So
1: uh, people keep their and their cars for 12 years, right? So you'll you'll yeah, well, and,
2: and and in fact, truck buyers tend to keep their trucks even longer than that. So, you know, you will probably, you know, you, and, and that's, you know, at current fuel prices. If fuel prices go up, that, um, that payback time drops pretty dramatically on a truck like oh,
1: this. Oh, numbers. Numbers are fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I mean, so like overall, it sounds like they've, they've hit a, you know, hit another sort of home run or a solid triple with the... Uh, the yeah, rain. no, absolutely. Um, all right. What, what topics are we, we going to cover?
2: Oh, let's see. So we have the uh, electric e-type. We have uh, the Audi PB18 e-tron concept that uh, just debuted in uh, in Monterey this week. Uh, and uh, has Elon outlived his usefulness? <laughs> what would you like to hit first? Uh,
1: well, was, I didn't pay any attention to the Audi, but the other two I can definitely talk about. Um, uh, the, the e-type All right, is, so is let, cool. Let's,
2: let's get let's get the Jag out of the way first. Yeah, I
1: mean, that sounds. A, it sounds to me way more palatable than the stupid Aston Martin DB5 continuation with all the James Bond crap on it. Um, oh, yeah. They're taking E-types, converting them to electronic to electric propulsion, which I'm assuming is they're the same kind of system that they're using on the normal production Jaguar, you know, electric Jaguars that you can buy now, or it's, it's sort of some of that?
2: Yeah, I believe they're using the, um, the, rear, the motor from the rear axle of the I-PACE. Uh, And putting that in there. So the the I-Pace is a dual motor setup like uh, most of the Teslas now um, for all-wheel drive. The the E-Type stays rear drive. They actually showed this as a concept uh, last fall. Uh, and this week, they you know in Monterey they announced that yes, they will in fact build these Jaguar Classics, which is the division of the company that does restoration on old Jags and Land Rovers. Um, we'll be building these for customers to order, um, and basically you bring them an E Type, and they will they will you know, do the, the conversion and whatever other restoration work you want to have done on the car as well. And what what's interesting is they're doing it in such a way that it, it's a fully reversible process. So if at some point in the future you decide you want to go back to the old gasoline engine, uh, they will preserve all the parts and, and they'll be able to take the electric stuff out and put the the traditional propulsion system back in there. Um, but yeah, they you know, they've designed this thing using some parts from the i um and you know presumably you know things like the power electronics in addition to the motor uh, a version of, a repackaged version of the battery uh, so the battery pack goes in the front un- under the hood you know and they've actually shaped it you know roughly the same size and shape as the the classic inline six you know so it fits under the hood um, and uh, you know I was just I did a little uh, searching around you know on uh, Haggerty's uh, valuation uh, site or Earlier today, and you can get uh, a nice E-type for about seventy grand. Uh, So you know you can. So you know if you pick up pick up an E-type, and you know they haven't said what the cost of the conversion will be. um, It will probably not be inexpensive, Um, but you know you can you can get a completely silent E-type if you are so inclined uh, from Jaguar. And you know I think I think it was a foregone conclusion once they showed the concept and saw the reaction that you know they would. Um, ultimately, end up building some of these for customers.
1: Well, it's a it's a great idea, and there's other companies that are doing. You know, there's like um, I think it's Z Electric Bug out in uh, California, where the, they one of their big business lines is they take vintage Volkswagens and uh, convert mm-hmm. them over to electric. Uh, it's it's not a bad way to go when you consider the the performance characteristics. You know, it's still going to be really fun to drive that E Type.
2: Um, oh yeah, absolutely, and it's maybe, maybe even more, yeah, more fun than the original. Aside from the noise, it becomes
1: you know an interesting, neat thing. And there's there's plenty of old guys with, or not old guys, but there's plenty of people with money that want an E-type, you know, a classic <laughs> E-type. Anyway, you know, <laughs>
2: Well, let's face it, most of them are going to be
1: old. Most of the people who are into the E-types tend to be on the the older side because they remember them. You know, I, I get it. I, I still yeah. I appreciate a good E-type, but,
2: but I mean, the, the E-type roadster is still probably. You know, one of the most beautiful production cars ever built.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah
2: especially the the, the the series one, series two cars before they got the big black rubber bumpers on them.
1: I did. So the one thing that I think is hilarious is you know Jaguars from this vintage, British cars from this vintage. And we're saying, oh, they're going to be great. They're going to be all electric. Like, these are the negative yeah. Earth Lucas Electric years, Prince of Darkness stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yep. uh, but I think they've figured it out by now.
2: Yeah, no, I I think they got it nailed down, so I'm I'm sure it'll be just fine. But yeah, you, no, you're right though about you know doing EV conversions on you know other classic cars. You know, there's a company called Genovation that does uh, EV that's doing EV conversions on Corvettes. Um, you know, I'm I'm sh- you know there's a lot of I don't know if there's any companies that are doing 911s, but there's you know certainly a lot of people that have done one-off EV conversions on older you know first generation 911s. Um, you know, packing take out the flat six and pack in some batteries on an electric motor. Um, you know, and there, there will there will no doubt be plenty of others as well. And so I think that there there's probably an, an interesting business here, you know, for anybody that wants to get into this, you know, for doing these types of conversions on certain classic cars. You know. I mean some people will consider it heresy to meddle with something like the eh, the the E type in such a way, but it's just a car. you know, <laughs> Yeah.
1: enjoy it. Like it's, and, it's another form of enthusiasm when you get down to it, right? Like they're, yeah. They're I mean,
2: you know, and it, you know, and the, and the thing about the E-Type, you know, is it was probably always a better car to look at than to drive.
1: Oh really? I see. You know, I haven't driven an E-Type, so I don't, uh, I don't know.
2: Not Well, I mean, if you, if you think about any, you know, 60s era, you know, or earlier car, you know, I mean, the, compared to what we have today in terms of driving dynamics, You know, they were um, perhaps exciting uh, (laughs) in ways that might might not (laughs) might not might not be uh, ideal. Uh. Um, You know, so, you know, they they certainly didn't have the kind of performance that we that that cars today are capable of, especially cars, you know, that are a lot cheaper than this. Uh, But they're, you know, they're gorgeous to look at. And this is, you know, this is a way to potentially keep these classic cars usable, you know, especially as we get into an era where. You know, people are starting to think of internal combustion engines as something evil. Um, you know, so you know if you can keep the the look alive, you know, and, and you know have the potential to restore it back to its original condition, you know, at some point if things turn around, uh, you know, I I don't see anything wrong with that.
1: No, I think it's a I think it's a great idea, and the, the secret sort of the secret sauce to all of it is going to be the thing that an automaker can do very well, and that's all of the the development of, of how everything works. So you can get the parts to roll your own pretty easy. You can get the power controller, you can mm-hmm. get the batteries and the motor, and you can bolt it all together. But the, the way the controls respond and the way everything functions is something that automakers have the resources and the talent to, to really do well, you know? And so that home-built electric car is, is not going to be as uh, pleasing or rewarding to drive or, or just as pleasant. As something that has had a bunch of hours and millions of dollars worth of actual, you know, engineering expended on it, so I think it bodes well. Like whatever, you know.
2: It's- yeah. I mean, you know, I've I've never been fundamentally opposed to the idea of resto mods, which is what this is. I mean, it's it's a resto mod just like, you know, Singer, you know, restoring old 911s are resto mods, you know. They're yeah. they're they're taking classic 911s and and putting modern engines in them, you know. And any resto mod, you know, where you're taking a, a classic car and updating it with modern mechanical systems or electrical systems in this case, you know, That makes it something better and, as you say, more rewarding to drive while still preserving that classic look. You know, I I don't think we need to be purists about all this stuff. You know, let's 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 keep what's good and and improve the rest.
1: I do hope that future generations still have the opportunity to hear one of those Jaguar inline sixes just, you know, wide open though, because that's a thing. That's (laughs) That's
2: <laughs> yeah, that that is. Or, you know, I mean, uh, and, you know, many, you know, many great internal combustion engines, you know, the, that one of the great things about them is that visceral feel from the, the sound of those of some of these great engines. Uh, and that's something that will unfortunately be lost in the era of EVs. That's,
1: that's true. I mean, like I don't th- I can count on one hand the amount of times I, I've you know, been around steam locomotives, for example. So I, I guess that's sort of the same kind of idea. Like eventually they'll be very rare.
2: Yep. Oh, well, speaking of speaking of EVs, um, you know, we've also uh, also at the, uh, you know, out in Monterey this week, Monterey, California, where Pebble Beach Concours is going on this weekend. And, you know, it's now it's now known as Monterey Car Week because of all the, the various events that happen in that area, at Laguna Seca and Pebble Beach and elsewhere. Um you know, there's there's been a few concepts shown off. One of the more interesting ones is the uh, the Audi PB18 e-tron. You know, with the name taking inspiration from the uh, Le Mans winning R18, uh, and uh, as you might guess, uh, it's it too is all electric. Uh, and you know that's fine. You know, it's it's borrowing parts from some of the other upcoming uh, Audi and VW Group uh, EVs. Uh, but it's also, you know, I think it's uh, like 650-some-odd horsepower uh, in base form and, you know, can do short bursts of over 700 horsepower. Um, but what's really kind of interesting about this thing is the design, uh, in particular the cabin. Did, 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 did you have a chance to take a look at this thing, Dan? I just
1: briefly glanced at it. And to me, it, doesn't, it didn't scream like Audi concept. You know, it's, it's, it's different.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, it doesn't look much like most Audis, most contemporary Audis, anyway. It's designed at their new studio in California, um, you know, and it's, you know, it's got some aspects of the Audi hexagonal grille, you know, in the the, the fascia, um, but it's, you know, it's designed to look like a mid-engine sort of shooting brake type of thing, um, but the the uh, passenger compartment is is where things get really interesting because what they did the the driver's seat and the controls well first of all you know the whole thing you know in conceptualizing this car they uh you know while audi is kind of taking the lead on the development of a lot of the autonomous driving technology for volkswagen group and and deployment of that uh, this car was designed around what they call level zero which basically means no assists and this car literally has no driving assist systems in it good you know, there's there's no adaptive cruise or anything else um it's all completely you know up to the driver to do good and to that end <laughs> um what you know what they've done you know because it's electric you know it's of course you know uh, drive-by-wire systems you know so you've got drive-by-wire steering and and braking and, and acceleration but what that enabled them to do is the the driver, the driver's pod, the, dri- the driver's seat is in kind of a pod uh, where you've got the seat with a five-point harness and the controls right in front of the driver. Uh, and when the driver doesn't have a passenger to take along, and what we what they don't show is you know where the passenger seat actually would be. You know, it describes in the in the release you know having a passenger seat in- integrated in there with a three-point harness, but it doesn't actually show it in the car. So. Not sure about that But uh, What what it's designed to do Is that whole pod With the seat The driver's seat And the controls And everything Is designed to slide over From the left-hand side Into the middle of the car Like a race car And they they have a a video uh, With Alan McNish Who, you know uh, Won many, many races At Le Mans uh, With Audi Uh, You know Pulling the car Into a garage Putting on his driver's suit Shifting that whole pod Over from the From the Uh, from the left to the center and then getting back in and taking it out on the track. Uh, And, you know, so that's kind of the ideal position when you're driving on the track, you know, more like a a formula one car. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting idea. I mean, it's not something you're ever likely to see in a production model, but you know, it's kind of cool for a concept and it's nice to see somebody doing an interesting concept like that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was one of the things about the McLaren F1, right. was the way the seats were arranged, right. It's, kind of that sort of much more racing inspired uh sort of seating arrangement so uh,
2: right they were all fixed in place though so you had the center driver's seat and two passenger seats on either side and behind
1: right so like i like this idea where i think it plays very well to the the idea of multi-purpose uh from a from a single car because you know and it may be just a gimmick but i you know again maybe it's they're testing the waters with a a very high-end car i don't know of, of too many people who would buy like a a super high-end electric exotic and necessarily want to race it but uh, i mean maybe maybe that's a thing that people want to do maybe they didn't know they wanted to do it until they can
2: yeah my, my guess is we'll never actually see this thing you know built I'm in production trying but... to
1: be really hopeful here <laughs>
2: But but I wouldn't be surprised to see um, you know the a next generation you know or maybe the one after that you know replacement for the R eight that is all electric you know Audi has dabbled with doing electric R eights you know a couple times now over the past ten years you know with the first generation one they showed a concept in in two thousand eight I think uh, you know the, the original e tron. Um, and they t- they promised to to build some production cars, but uh, after they built ten prototypes and did spent a bunch of time testing them, they they never went forward with production. Uh, and then the second generation R eight, they said that again. Um, apparently, they have built some of those for customers, although I don't think I've ever actually seen one anywhere. Um, it's not clear, you know, how many or or where they are. Uh, they've never really been spotted on the roads. Um, but, uh, you know, now that, you know, Audi is really going all in on electrification, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, sometime in the early 20s, you know, to see something at least inspired by this car as a, as a next generation supercar from Audi.
1: Uh, you know, that's the, that's the best you can hope for, right, with any concept cars, that you get some of that cachet in the showroom. So, yep. Uh, we'll
2: see. <laughs> all right. One one last topic for this week. Elon. Uh-huh. <laughs> we've, we've tried to avoid talking about Elon too much over the last few weeks.
1: Well, I mean, um, you know, so first of all, a lot of the, the talk has been like financial stuff that I personally, I'm not, uh, I'm not as, as well versed in that stuff as, as I think you need to be to talk about where they, they are with in terms of like stock price and investors and all that all that stuff. So but anyway, carry on.
2: Yeah. So um, you know, Ed Niedermeyer called me yesterday. Uh for those uh, that don't know, you know, Ed Ed uh been a writer for the Daily Kanban for quite a while, uh and one of the co hosts of the cast and um, uh, I talked to him from time to time, and he, and he now uh, a couple of weeks ago he we went to work for Automotive News as their new Silicon Valley reporter, and so he called me yesterday to talk about Elon for a story he's working on, um, and the you know the premise of the story is you know can can Tesla survive without Elon, and you know I kind of turned that on its head a little bit and said you know it's more like you know can Tesla survive with Elon. Um, you know, the, my, my premise, my take on this, you know, is that I think that Elon Musk really may have outlived his usefulness for Tesla in many ways. You know, I think, you know, starting a car company like Tesla, you know, you needed somebody with a vision, you know, for what the company should be, what kind of products it should be making, you know, what it should be doing. But... Ultimately, you know, once you grow a company beyond a certain size, you know, you you can't rely on just a single visionary leader, you know, to to run the company. You know, I mean, it's just it's not humanly possible for one individual to manage a company with, you know, thirty five thousand employees. Well,
1: And the the best Um, uh, the best visionary leaders understand that. And at a certain point, they they learn how to delegate.
2: Exactly. And, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I've, I've said that, you know, many times in the past, you know, there's often the comparisons of, of Musk to Steve Jobs, uh, you know, and, and Musk, uh, you know, in some respects is similar to Steve Jobs. Oh, he's an know, asshole? And having that, well, there's that too. I wasn't going to really go there quite that way, but yes, he, 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 let's put it this way. He is not, he's, he's often an, a very unpleasant person to be around, um, and, you know, he's he's got, you know, this grand vision for what his companies should be and what they should be doing. But, you know, the difference is especially in the second generation of of uh, jobs at Apple after he came back in 1997, because, you know, he was fired in 85. And when he came back in 97, uh, you know, by that time, he had learned. You know, he he was self-aware enough to to recognize what his limitations were, the things he was good at and the things he was not interested in, you know, which was a lot of the detail day to day management stuff. You know, he wanted to focus on, you know, the the, the the vision part of it, you know, focus on what kinds of products the company should be producing and, you know things like you know managing supply chains and manufacturing and everything else he was not interested in that he knew he wasn't good at it wasn't interested in it and that's why he brought in people like tim cook you know and many other staff And you know delegated that responsibility To those people that had expertise In that area you know and he set Up the company you know for success You know with you know Having this kind of focus on You know what they should be doing You know from a large you know from a big Picture perspective Right. So you know even now You know nearly seven years after he died You know the company is more successful Than ever even without him And I think you know with with Tesla I think it's very similar you know the problem is you know Elon doesn't recognize those limitations in himself he thinks he can do it all and he and and more and worse he believes he's the only one who can do it you know he won't delegate that responsibility to people And I think that's a problem for Tesla. You know, I've said this for a long time. You know, I I admire what what he has achieved and what the company has achieved. And, you know, I mean, we wouldn't have cars like the Audi PB18 or an electric E-Type today if it weren't for the success that Elon has had with Tesla. Um, But, you know, I think it's really time for him to move on, you know, and. You know, I think he has defined what Tesla should be, and I think it's time to get management in place that knows how to execute on that and give them the, the authority and the responsibility to do that. And you know, I I really think that you know that Elon that Tesla would be better off without Elon now.
1: Well, I think, and I, I, we had a little Twitter thread uh, going with Ed about this um, a couple of days ago too. Dan, is you still there? My take is that Tesla flourishes. Oh without Elon Um, if they, if they make the right moves, you know, I don't understand why, why we've got this, uh, this consistent idea of like visionary as like almost like a, you know, a, a Messiah, right? Like a Jesus type guy where he's the one with the answers. He's the one with the vision. Like there's, there's some of that, you know, you get a visionary personality, they will inspire other people on the team to actually achieve. But, it's not just one guy, you know, there's no point in, uh, you know, him sitting, you know, sleeping in the factory. Like, what are you going to do? Your CEO, get out of here, go, go do something else and, and make sure that your people are empowered to, to do what they need. Um, so it's,
2: yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's high time for him to move on and, and focus on other stuff. I think that, you know, he he has set up the, the mission for Tesla, and there's plenty of people that know what that mission should be. And, and, you know, I think that there are lots of people who could execute on that mission without his interference, um, you know, and, you know, without fundamentally changing that.
1: I completely agree. I think that that's, you know... That's our new vision for Tesla. I think that's that's completely right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, you know, the, the one the one question, you know, the other question, though, you know, is a big part of why a lot of investors have put so much money into Tesla and have been willing to bid up the, the the valuation of Tesla is because of their belief in Elon. And I think, you know, those people need to reconsider now and think, you know, do they believe in this one guy or do they believe in what the company is trying to do? And, you know, if they believe in and if it's the latter, if they believe in what the company is trying to do and actually achieving that, then, you know, I think that, you know, Tesla can, you know, can retain a high value, you know, even without his active involvement, Um, you know, and if if all they do is if all they believe in is Elon, well, then that's a pretty foolish bet to make because, you know, Elon is just one guy and, you know, anything can happen. You know, I mean, he. You know, an accident could happen, you know, his Gulfstream could crash, you know, and he could be dead tomorrow. And to make such a big bet on that one person rather than on what the company is and what it's trying to be, I think is foolish.
1: All right. Well, with, the, with that and a dropped call uh, in the middle of it all um, that we're going to fix with the magic of editing, um, I, I think we're we're good with this week.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Um, and uh, we've, we're also going to have a special episode that should be coming out uh, a couple days after this one, which is uh, an interview that I recorded yesterday or a couple days ago with Larry Burns uh, about his new book called Autonomy: uh, The Quest for the Driver or the yeah, The Quest for the Driverless Car. Um, and uh, we had a Larry and I had a great conversation about that. So make sure you you uh, take a little time to listen to that. Um, and that's that's it for this week for me. Alright, uh, thanks for listening.
1: Uh, we should I should do these all on my commute because it makes it go so much faster. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we'll all catch right. everyone next week. Alright, bye.